0: Welcome to Pixelate Radio on the web at getpixelated.com. That's getpixel, the number 8, ED.com. Now, here's your host, Craig Shoemaker. Let me ask you a question. When you think of ASP.NET, do you think of simplicity? Uh, <laughs> probably not. Well, today's show is all about bringing simplicity to ASP.net. I had a chance to interview Scott Hunter at PDC, and he's talking about what his group is focused on in order to make ASP.net much more simple. Along with that, I share the 12 things that I think we could do to make ASP.net simpler. And so today, it's all about simplicity. Hey, welcome back to Pixel 8. And uh, hey, we're back from PDC. There's always a lot that happens at PDC. There's all the, you know, all the future stuff, all the announcements, everything that's happening with Silverlight Four. I did have an opportunity to talk to a number of very cool people from Microsoft today on the show. Obviously, we're talking to Scott Hunter, but I also spoke with Tim Hewer, Jesse Liberty, Stephen Walther, and also someone else who's a friend of the show, not not from Microsoft, but uh, Rick Barraza, where we kind of talked about just what we'd seen overall at the show and around the industry. So those interviews are coming, but today we will hear from from Scott Hunter about ASP.net and uh, the whole simplicity, effort, or movement that's coming to ASP.net. Now, as I was talking to Scott uh, about these different concepts, I started thinking to myself, well, what kind of suggestions could I make? What what sort of things would I notice about ASP.net that maybe we could simplify? So I have a list here of 12 items of ways to simplify ASP.NET. Now, now none of this stuff is really terribly original. Obviously, there's a number of things that I've seen in blog posts or maybe articles around the web. And the show notes, I'll link to them. But I do wanna highlight these at least 12 items of things that I think would help make ASP.NET uh, simple. And they, some of them are kind of like, I don't know, really simple. They start off, like for instance, if you have a data bound control, usually you have to set the data source property and then call the data bind method. Well, what about a simple overload to the data bind method that sets the data source for you and then calls data bind? Obviously, you wouldn't want to use it in every situation because you want to set the source and maybe bind at different times. But if you are doing it together, which often our code, let's face it, is written that way, uh, this would help make life a little simpler by reducing one line of code. So that's kind of cool. The next thing is post back. To me, I don't know, it's just my brain, <laughs> when you look at, when you're using the, the postback mechanisms, you always have to check if it is not a postback and page load or wherever you're doing. I, it just always seemed backwards to me because really what we were concerned about was not whether or not it was a postback, really we want to know if it was the first request. So what about a simple object off of the, the page control that is just the reverse of his postback and we just call it his first request? I don't know, it just seems like it would make the code a little bit easier to read. Another thing, now Visual Studio 2010 has done a lot in upgrading IntelliSense and making it, um, at least in C-sharp, better because as you type, things filter out and everything. But something I've always wanted was a categorical view of IntelliSense. So if I'm looking at an object, I'd like to just see a list of all the events because I want to know where I can tap into this object, Uh, maybe just a list of the properties or a list of just the methods. Having the alphabetical listing and even having the filtering is a good thing, but it would be nice to have this sort of categorical view within um, IntelliSense to see the the, the object that you're working with. This next one is is nothing really all that new. There's been a number of different articles, code projects, uh, and other places where you can see this implemented. But basically having it baked into the framework of, of making attributes for certain things like query string parameters. So for instance, I could declare a property in my page and I could say username and then put an attribute on there and say, you know, this is a query string parameter and uh, so I'm just declaring the variable, decorating it with the the attribute and now it knows that it needs to, first of all, check to see if the query string key is there. If that's not null, then go in and try to get the value out of the query string and place it into the, you know, the backing field of this property. Uh, And this would work well too, so you could declare, say, a nullable int and put the, the attribute there. And then so if, if the item doesn't show up in query string, then you have a null value. And this would just make, I, I mean, how many times have you written that same type of code of checking the query string or forms collection or uh, context items or whatever, just having these attributes that know how to pull out of these these different pieces. That kind of leads into another area. And, and with .NET 4, we're going to have a lot more control over our control IDs. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Uh, it's about time, and it's uh, just that is a huge win for all of us. So, obviously, ASP.NET MVC makes a large use of model binders. And so, it would be awesome to have model binder support within ASP.NET Web Forms. Um, that way, you could declare items on the page, it would map directly to your model, and you could work um, down with a presenter or even right there on the page if, if you want to. But uh, that, that whole mapping layer would certainly make life a whole lot easier. Now, there is a this is just kind of a, a research post that I don't remember who put out. Um, I feel bad now. I don't have it prepared here as I'm recording, but obviously it'll be in the show notes. But it showed how to do data binding in ASP.NET using the same type of syntax that you find in XAML. So you would have open curly brace, the word binding... the the property name, close curly brace. And for me, when I'm doing data binding in ASP.NET, you have to choose, okay, do I use eval? Do I use bind? You know, there's certain nuances there when you use it. And we've seen this type of syntax come to ASP.NET Ajax. It's obviously in XAML, so you find it in Silverlight and WPF. And so if it was extended into ASP.NET, that would just make a very simple, natural, consistent binding type of syntax that you could use in any platform. So I'd love to see that come to ASP.NET. The next thing that I thought of that would be uh, very nice is um, in JavaScript, if you had a way to basically just simply call a method and get a data transfer object out of your view. So it's, it's basically like a view model in JavaScript. It's really more of a DTO. But you just call this function, say, and it looks at all the input controls on the page and it builds up a a JSON object. And it's something that you could use to then post back to the server, not post back, but you know, make Ajax call or whatever you want to do back to the server. Now, obviously that's easy for text box controls and uh, text area controls. But if you have a list box or a down list or something like that, then what it would do is create maybe three properties. So maybe one is the text value The next is the the ID value or what you usually put in um, the value piece of that control, but then also the selected index. So you would have three properties in your JSON object to represent this one control and that really would give you all the information that you need back on the server to deal with what's been selected upon the client. So some sort of automatic DTO or view model or something like that within JavaScript you could generate and then send it right back to the server. I know that uh, that's a lot of left and right code that just really isn't even necessary to write. Now here's a huge one that uh, people often talk about wanting to deal with. Now, view state is, will be pared down a lot in uh, ASP.NET 4. We know that. But there still be times when you need view state. And often view state, to you, know, you have no control over where it goes. There are some some hacks out there that you can find that'll allow you to move view state to the bottom of the page. And that's probably where you want it, but it would probably be a good thing to open it up and say, okay, provide a container and then I can put view state wherever I want it. So for some crazy reason, you want view state right in the middle of your page, you could do that. Obviously, we'd probably want it down at the bottom of the page, but it seems like if they're going to do work to open it up, we should be able to have control over where we'd want view state. So being able to select where view state shows up I think would make uh, life a lot easier because then we're not having to go and implement weird hacks and make things happen sort of after the fact. So I haven't been numbering these, but it looks like we're down to, I don't know, about number nine or so. But um, an article that I wrote up on ASP Alliance a number of years ago was um, basically giving and showing an approach of how to disable the submit button after people have clicked it. And there's a lot of different ways you could do it. Um, my implementation basically just used a timer and um, went, used the style sheet to disable it. And I, I'll link on the show notes to that article. But it'd be very nice if there was something native within the framework to where you could just say, once this submit button has been clicked, it's been disabled and kind of work through all of the logic that's necessary for that, because that is something that people get, get hung up on as they're, they're building their applications. Now the next area I know is something I've seen people asking for in in different types of contexts. You can go into Visual Studio and you can spin up like the management console for ASP.NET so you can add the users, you can set the roles, you can get the whole authentication piece set up for ASP.NET within Visual Studio. But often you want to be able to expose that same type of functionality to the user. Now Jeffrey Palermo and Eric Hexter I've recently blogged about this whole idea of a portable area and it's this idea that you can basically take the entire context of a UI and compile it down into a single assembly and then include it into one of your applications. So it would be nice if the whole management console that allows you to deal with the basics of working with the, the membership API was exposed through maybe some sort of a a portable area or or something like that. So you could basically just turn it on, uh, give it to your clients or give it to your users and allow them to manage um, the different pieces of it. Now, obviously, you may have different business rules that you want to enforce and everything like that. This doesn't solve that problem. This is if you just want to take what's there within Visual Studio and expose it to maybe power users or admin users. You could do that. That would make life a lot easier. All right. I've got two left. Now, one of these is, is I guess I should have started off because this is another one of those real simple things. And that is the whole idea of an application name. Now, I know when I've worked on on applications, I'll go in and create like a some sort of configuration object. And then I've got my application name because if I want to put out, you know, Jerry's e-commerce store or something like that, I don't want it you know, in strings all throughout the application. I want a single place for it. Well, there's uh, an issue when you're looking at the, the membership providers of having an application name within the web config. And, and there's a, a blog post that Scott Guthrie has put up many couple, well, wow, almost four years ago now, 2006, about how you should always set the application name. So if if there was something simple within ASP.NET, um, some sort of a context object or something that gave the application name, but then that also mapped back to the membership provider so that then you didn't even have to think about this sort of obscure rule of whether or not you're you're providing your name into the application name. That would be very cool. I, re, really, the, the onus for this or what prompted me to, to think of this was just wanting to print out the application name throughout the, uh, throughout the application and not wanting to have to write that piece of code to, to manage that for myself. But as I was looking around at things, I realized that it would be a good way also to plug in and sort of make this little hole for uh, the, the membership provider, um, make that something very easy to do as well. The last thing that I've come up with with my 12 little things to make ASP.NET easier and that is script-based postbacks. Now stick with me here for a second. Let's say you're developing a page and you're not doing an AJAX scenario, okay? You're just doing regular web forms and posting back and everything like that. But let's say that you have some JavaScript that you've run and within that JavaScript you need to post back to the server. Now initially it's not very easy to do that. There's a number of different approaches, the most common approach I've seen and and I have used myself is to create like a link button and create the click handler and get the associated code behind for it. So create that link button and then hide it using style sheets up on the the page. And so then what you do is you view source and look at the JavaScript that was generated in order to create that post back. So then you can take that that do postback method that it is created and sort of put that anywhere you want within some JavaScript that you write. So let's say you have some custom logic you need to execute, but then you need to do the postback, then you go and do it. It'd be nice if there was some sort of control or something that would allow you to do script-based postback so you don't have to create a control and have this generated code and hide it with CSS, but something that would make it very simple where you can initiate a postback from JavaScript and deal with it on the back end. So there you go. There's 12 things that I've come up with that would make ASP.NET simpler. And there's a good chance they're already even working on some of this stuff. Now, the real fun is is to listen to Scott Hunter talk about the advancements that they are working on and also that they're thinking about that makes ASP.NET a lot simpler. So let's listen to Scott talk about what he has got in store for us very soon. So we are back here with Scott Hunter at PDC-09. And, um, well, there's a lot going on, but why don't, you, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the new stuff that's coming out?
1: Yeah, so I, I uh, you know, recap, you know, we're, you know, we're at PDC, and, you know, this is kind of, you know, we're showing off a lot of .NET 4 stuff here. But, you know, at Microsoft, we're always thinking about what we're going to do next. And so for our team, uh, a lot of that is, is, you know, what are we going to do next in the web platform? And, and one of the things that we think that we really like to dig into is uh, three or four themes. One of those themes is simplicity. And that is making things that you do today easier. Active Record solves this around the data space, and I'll explain that in a second. Another area that we think is, is vitally important to web developers is HTML5 and CSS standards and stuff like that. So um, we're obviously going to look at HTML5 and figure out where that fits in, in what we're offering. And, and the third area is obviously performance. We really care about site performance, and we're thinking of what can we do at the framework level to give your apps better performance without having the developer have to go and do all these things themselves. So those are probably the three areas i like to touch on today. Um, we'll probably spend a few minutes on each of those and give you some of the ideas that we're thinking. Uh, anything we talk about today, we're just finishing up .NET 4 internally at Microsoft, so these are just kind of the areas that we're investing in and, and prototyping and playing with. You know, I, I can't say what what's going to ship out of any of this stuff, but, you know, hopefully people listening will actually get a kick out of what we're looking at.
0: Well, it's, it's good to know what you're looking at, what you're spending your time on, because, you know, it's, it's hard to keep up with what ships, but it's, it's, it's just neat to have a, a pulse about what might be coming down the road, you know, in the near future.
1: Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to actually go backwards, and, and let's do perf performance okay. first. And so uh, I, we had a session today at, at PDC uh, where we showed two things. We showed using Velocity. Velocity is a distributed cache server that Microsoft provides. It's currently in CTP format. And one of the things we did in .NET 4 was we actually took some of the caching mechanisms inside of .NET uh, instead of ASP.NET and made them provider-based. The benefit here is before if you actually wanted to really tie Velocity to an ASP.NET site you'd have to go manually do that. Now you can basically use this new provider model, uh, plug Velocity directly in, and it just works transparently. So, you know, For example, the, the demo we showed today was all around output caching. So if I'm doing using output caching, Uh, You know, let's say I have a server farm. Today my output caching would actually be going, each server would be doing its own caching. Uh, If I plug Velocity in, the first server that gets hit stores uh, the result of its output caching into Velocity and the other 99 servers would not handle that request now. They would actually just serve it directly out of Velocity. So the idea is, uh, you know, your CPU utilization on a farm is going to go way down um, because we're basically sharing the cache uh, among many, many web servers.
0: And, and basically, with Velocity, then you can decide where you want to put that cache too, right? It's, correct.
1: Yeah. You, can, you can put the cache on one machine, many machines. You could have a farm of those machines. They could, you know, they could be using whatever Velocity features you want to use to store that in memory or database or whatnot. Uh, so, but once again, the cool thing for, for the ASP.NET developer is because we're adding these provider models around caching, that means you don't have to change your code at all. You just go take these, these infrastructures like Velocity, plug them in, and you get it for free.
0: And so what are the extensibility points that you tap into? Is it something within Global ASAX that you have to grab things or where where are you grabbing it?
1: The extensibility point honestly is just it's like any of our other providers. So if you if you do like our membership provider, our profile provider today in web config, uh, there's a section where you can actually, you know, add your own provider. In this case, there's a new web config sections where you can basically go and add your provider there, and, and we'll find it at runtime and start it up and, and use that. And, you know, we're, we're showing velocity today. There's nothing preventing you from using any of the, the ones that are out there on the market, like Memcache yourself, if you want to write your own provider for it. That's the cool thing is now suddenly, you know, use whatever, you know, caching mechanism you want to use and plug it directly in and don't change the ASP.NET website.
0: It's just native to the framework at that yeah. point. Yeah.
1: So, you know, long performance, uh, something else that... Uh, uh, we've been investigating in and we showed some cool demos today are, are sprites so uh, Steve Souter has this, this book uh, which is kind of the Bible book for how to make websites faster and if you go read surveys and studies on this you'll find that uh, people that are actually browsing the web you know if a page like pauses for a second or two they might just give up and go you know click a toolbar and go somewhere else and, and not even wait so uh, his book actually t- has this statistics around this area and talks about, you know, the kind of perf you should try to get. And so um, he has lots of techniques in the book uh, that are actually difficult techniques to implement, and so we're trying to make some of those techniques easier for the the web developer. So uh, one of the common cases is you've got a web page that has maybe 15 images. That means today when the browser hits that page, it's going to go make 15 requests uh, to the web server for each of those images. The idea behind sprites is we would take all those 15 images, convert them into one image, and then the web page actually has one request and uses CSS to cut it up.
0: So is, so ASP.NET will handle consolidating all the images for you?
1: Correct. So in the, in the sample, we, we have samples uh, of this on uh, web forms and on MVC. Today we actually were showing MVC. And basically in MVC, you can create a sprite directory in your content folder and just drop your images in there. And then in your page, we have an HTML helper, um, which would be where you would normally put your image tag, and you can just give it the name of the sprite or potentially the name of the group, um, and it will go figure that out. And then in your startup, uh, you actually you have to basically register the, sp- the sprite manager, and it will go out at startup. It'll go look in that directory, find all the images, compress them together into one image, uh, and then uh, when you use your HTML helpers all over your page, that'll basically just generate some CSS that points to the one image. And, oh, sorry, and, and so the, the cool thing for the developer is <coughs> minus changing your image tab, tag to a helper, that's it. You don't have to worry about trying to stitch these things together or, or any of that work. So it's, it's really simple. And, uh, you know, the demo we were showing today, we had a page that started off with like uh, seven or eight web requests When we were done it had three.
0: Yeah, and, and the, the hard part is, you know, well, stitching them is one thing, but then figuring out what the boundaries are in CSS to make the sprite is, is hard.
1: Yeah, exactly. If you go and you do a view source against one of the samples we showed today, I mean, there's like minus 225 offsets <laughs> and all kinds of gross stuff. You know, we go look at the, Im- the size of the images and, and compute all that our, ourselves, which, as I said, it's, it is simple to use, and you get a huge perp- benefit. So,
0: and, and everything that's being generated, though, is standard uh, HTML, though. Correct.
1: Yeah, we, we basically what happens is at startup, we look at that, that directory, we create a big ping image, uh, store it somewhere. Uh, we actually like you to have groups. You can have more than one image, so you obviously don't, don't want to have your entire website use one image. Um, and then all the, all the markup we generate is basically just standards-compliant markup. It is you know, using CSS to uh, position the image to the right spot uh, on, the, on the sprite.
0: Now, you're converting it to a ping. Let's say you have a number of different JPEGs, and then you have some GIFs that have transparency and some Pings that have transparency. How does all that get worked together?
1: So in the case of if you're doing uh, transparencies, obviously if we're going to stitch them together, they would have to have the same transparency color, uh, you wouldn't be able to mix and match. Obviously, if you're doing uh, GIF images and you have animations, um, we can't stitch those together, you know, into one big sprite image either. So there are some limitations. Uh, you might want to. Get, that, that's why we have these grouping features. You might want to go take the transparency stuff, group them into their own uh, sprite group uh, for, for things like uh, GIFs and animation. You're going to want to leave those separate images. So. There's no way to really stitch those together, I think, to make that work.
0: Yeah, uh, not practical at that point. But yeah. but basically, you would, you would manually group that up yourself. Yeah. And,
1: and we provide the groupings. you can create subdirectories inside of the sprite directory. So you could have a subdirectory called animation. Uh, or actually, I'd just leave animation out. But you could have a subdirectory called transparent. And then mark all the ones that have the same color as their transparency in there. And you'd be okay with that. So I was going to say the next area that I was going to probably talk about a little bit is, is what we call helpers. Um, MVC. Uh, ships with a lot of helpers for doing things. Um, a lot of cases. Um, one of the things I always like to, when, when I when I show these things is I always tell developers, you know, where one of the things we got dinged for in web forms was, you know, I I do this and I, I lose control of the markup. You know, in our case, a helper is really a simpler way of writing a tag. Um, if we could actually give you a syntax that writes the same HTML tag with with less typing, then we think it's applicable for a helper. <clears throat> so. Uh, MVC ships with a lot of helpers for, you know, HTML.textbox. Uh, you give it the name of your ID, and it spits out an input type equal text um, with the ID set to a value. So, you know, you're going to get some, some minification there. Uh, the idea behind what we're calling HTML helpers is is to go build bigger things around that. And, and some of them won't even be markupy things. Some things are just, let's look at our framework today and, and look at concepts that are hard for web developers. One of the concepts that I run into building websites all the time is image processing. Uh, .NET's got these great libraries uh, for processing images, resizing them, doing all kinds of manipulations for them, but they're, they're not trivial, and I'm going to guess most people, if, if you've written a, a site that uses images, have gone and Googled or, or Binged for, uh, got to ping Microsoft here, so, um, uh, you know, how to resize an image or what, and you, you go find, you know, 20, 30 lines of .NET code to do this. And so one of the things we want to do is just build some simple helpers. So I might have just image.resize, image.watermark, image.crop, image.flip horizontal, image.flip vertical. Um, they're just first class citizens. Uh, other areas, we might uh, we might simplify things like email. Yeah.NET once again has great email libraries, but you know, what if I just have email dot send, uh, email.verify address. Uh, we're not rewriting parts of the framework. We're just providing nice little wrappers around some of the framework infrastructure. Uh, so that's one aspect to helpers. Another aspect to helpers is looking at common things that, that web developers do as well. So here's one that uh, uh, we, were, we were brainstorming internally that we all ran into was, God, I want my website you know, at four o'clock in the morning to send notifications out to a bunch of people. So we're thinking of having a, a background helper. So I can actually schedule a background task to say, hey, at 4 a.m., run this. Or Imagine the scenario of uh, you're going to upload an Excel spreadsheet, and then we're going to go crunch that and write a report, run a report. That's a process that might take uh, five, ten minutes. Um, how do you how do you do that today? Today you you could do your own threading, uh, but as soon as you spawn off a thread, if an if an exception is is, is thrown from your thread you created, um, it'll basically pull the entire app domain down. Once again, it. You, know, you start off doing something simple, and you find out that you know, all these things are going to make it harder. And right. so the idea behind the background worker stuff would be to, number one, give you a nice scheduling mechanism and to go wrap that stuff so, so if, there, if an error does occur, we're not going to tear the app domain down. So once again, instead of having the developer have to figure this out, right. let's just give you a nice model to do this. Uh, uh, WinForms actually provided something very similar to this in WinForms 2.0. Uh, they have a background worker that you can actually uh, associate on, on, uh, on a win form. And so we're going to build something very similar to that. Uh, but we're looking at all kinds of crazy ideas. Like uh, I want to put uh, 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 a Twitter search on my page. I want to do Facebook status on my page. Um, all kinds of crazy things like that. I want to show my Xbox gamer tag on my page.
0: So you want to bake that into .NET? Uh, helper stuff? I'm not sure helper stuff is going to be in the
1: framework. Um, you know, ultimately, uh, it would be on some some release that we're going to you know put out there on Codeplex or our some mechanism where we can change it all the time. Some aspects some aspects of this stuff might may, might actually go into the framework. But you know, if we go support things like OpenID, OpenID is something we'd love to do as well. Um, you know, we've got these great membership and profile providers in, in .NET. But you know, a lot of times, if somebody has a, a a Live account or a Google account, why not let them log in with those as well? Um, I would want to bank, bake that kind of things, those things, in the framework because obviously we're relying on a, on a third-party API that could change as well, okay. um, and so the frameworks aren't fast, don't, don't change fast enough for that. But uh, I'd love to get our, ourselves to a point where we have a, a thriving library of this stuff uh, built in our platform. Um, so that's kind of what we're brainstorming uh, on helpers right
0: now. That sounds like some really useful stuff, and and. You know, even if you don't think about it, it's like once you hear it, it's like, yeah, that really would make my life a whole lot easier. Yes, you know, some other
1: examples of, of things like this that, how many websites do you see where somebody puts a poll on the website? I want a, I want a simple way to put a poll on the website. Oh, yeah. I want to ask, ask somebody a question and, and record the results. Today, what does that involve? That involves going and creating some database tables, writing a control or, you know, writing a controller and some action methods and stuff. Why don't we just, what if we just had a nice helper for doing polls where I give the poll an ID and I give it the, the, the series of questions uh, uh, another thing along this along these lines is all the, all these social weddings websites today let you rate things yeah. what if we had a, a simple mechanism for rating things what if you know all websites let you comment on things right. uh, what if we gave you a simple mechanism for doing adding comments to things I mean these are things that if I'm building a website you know your boss might come in and go God I I want to build this great social website, and I want to be able to have ratings, I want to have polls, and I want to have comments. And, you know, today as a developer, you're like, God, i got to write all that stuff myself. Right. And so, or get a
0: nice third-party control company to help you out. Or <laughs> get a nice
1: third, third-party control, like Infragistics, <laughs> to, uh, to help you with that. But uh, we would just like to make those kinds of things a simpler experience. Sure. And maybe that simpler experience is we provide some default implementation and leave it open so a third-party control vendor like Infragistics could actually come in there and replace some of that stuff. I don't know what that's going to look like, but that's that's the kind of area we want to target. We want to target on. I want to build an app quickly and give people more tools than we've given today.
0: Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. The simplicity is definitely a valuable. Yeah. Yeah. So, to talk to me a little bit about active record and, and what's involved in that. So the, the the final area that we've been looking at in simplicity is
1: data simplicity, and so we started thinking of you know, Microsoft's got these great data libraries, Entity uh, framework, link to SQL, uh, but they're actually pretty, even though they're, they're very rich and powerful and, and allow you to act, write simpler code, they're still hard to use. We were doing a, a thing one day and and count kind of the number of menu drops and mouse clicks and stuff you actually had to do to, to get a simple database project off the ground, and it was, it was a large number of clicks. And we started ta- asking ourselves, how can we make that faster? And, we went out there and we're looking at at some of the, the patterns out there, like Active Record today. So Active Record is a is a pattern that was that was presented in a book uh, a couple of years ago. Ruby on Rails uh, is an implementation of that. Um, there's some for PHP. Um, it just happened to be that the Entity Framework team was building something called Code Only, which allows you to create an entity model directly from code. And so we started looking at that and, and going, God, we could actually build active record on this. So it, and the, and the idea behind this is I just create a class. I create a class called Person. I give it a, a string first name, string last name, int age. And then in my code, I just new up a person, fill in those fields and call Person.save. The first time you do that in this project, what we'll actually do is we'll go out and look to see if your database, if you don't have a database, we'll create a database. Then we'll look in the database and see if there's a, a, a table called Person. If there's not, we'll create one. And so, the act of just creating a simple application, newing up a class, filling it in, saving it, went out and created the database and stored my my object in the database. I'm actually, under the covers, this is all an ED framework. So you're using the same full enterprise-level production uh, library that we recommend to our customers, but instead of having to have all the concepts of going in and, and creating a database by hand first, then going through a modeling tool and creating a model, and then... Going in, in your actual code and creating a, an object context um, and then creating the ob- filling in the object, adding it to the context, saving it in the context, we just throw all that away and say create a class, save the class. If I want to go query uh, people from my person table, I just say person.all. That'll return me all of the people in the person database. Now the, now, now the all is actually using link. Mm-hmm. So I can say person.all where age is greater than five. And that will be translated you know, using, using uh, Link uh, into the correct stuff on the server to get you the optimized query. So you're actually running the query against the server versus you know, doing the filtering client side.
0: Right. Now, this seems reminiscent of some of the work that Rob Connery was doing with Subsonic. Did, was there any relation to any of that or inspiration? Uh, you know,
1: Rob built it. I would actually, it's a little different, I would think. Rob built his own ORM. Uh, Subsonic is basically its own ORM in its own standpoint. Um, he's built various flavors of it and various ways of accessing it. Um, honestly, in our case, it was uh, we were focusing on simplicity of how can I reduce the number of steps the developer has to do to build a data- data-driven application. And so it's like, uh, if we, you know, at some point, most of the time, you're actually going to get down to having a class, and we're saying, what if a class is all you have to do? Right. So, and I want to preface this as well and say, you know, uh, what if you are going the other direction? we will support going the other direction as well. If I have an existing database, we actually have, in some of our prototypes, we have T4 templates that you run against your existing database and it will create active, active record classes that ma- that match against your existing database. So we're going to support both ways. Now that now going that direction uh, is the more complicated scenario because you've actually got a database, you might even have a model on that database, um, but we're not saying that, you know, even though we're targeting simplicity um, we think this is applicable for, for all developers. And, and we, we solve some other problems as well. So if you use link to SQL or any framework or even Subsonic, I'm not sure how Subsonic handles this. After you've created your model the first time and you want to go add a new field to your database, how do you do that? You know, you go and add the field to your database and then a lot of times our, our tools today require you to regenerate the model. Right. In the active record case, uh, we, we do something called alterations. So if I just go and rename a, col- rename a field in my class... The next time I access the application, uh, it'll go out to the database and rename the field. If I add a new field, it'll go re- add the field to the table automatically. So we're kind of automatically synchronizing, you know, my class against my database, uh, allowing a much cooler developer experience where I can just kind of prototype just by starting with some classes, modify my classes. My database is going to modify as I go.
0: Right. Now, usually the first time anybody mentions Active ActiveRecord, immediately it comes up, is the fact that you know maybe active record isn't the best, but you should be using a repository pattern based off of what you're building. Is there a way to to turn it off, or is it done through namespaces, or how is it integrated?
1: Uh, there's nothing preventing you from using the repository pattern. So for pe- people that that have never heard of this before, um, as you're building applications, some people validly or invalidly, depending on your on your prognosis, they say that your actual class that matches you know your your data class. Should not be the, the class that you actually filter up to your application. Your application should be working on something out you know different than that. So we typically you write it what we call a view model. So my view model is different than my actual uh, database. Um, there's nothing preventing you from building a repository pattern on Active Record. In fact, comically enough, uh, Phil Phil Hack from our team and Rob Connery have been twittering a whole bunch recently about Rob has been going, maybe somebody should build a repository <laughs> pattern against Active Record. Um, and so there's been some, some Twitter conversations about that. So um, I would argue that there's nothing in the active record, you know, active record is, is basically EF underlying. So there's nothing preventing you from creating another wrapper around it, using the repository pattern. Um,
0: just exposing it, some DTOs after that. E-
1: exactly. It's up to the developer on what they want to do. Um, we're obviously going to look and see if there's something we could do to, to make that a, a better experience uh, from the framework side. Uh, but it's up to you. If you, you know, I think for the quick and simple prototype, nobody cares. But as you start scaling out and trying to build, you know, enterprise level application, you probably want to have your business logic living in uh, that middle tier, which is your, you know, your DTOs.
0: So simplicity and .NET. Your guys are really bringing it. Uh, we're going to try
1: to. I mean, that's as I said, you know, this is early. We really haven't started because we haven't come off the cycle of .NET four <laughs> yet. When well, we got prototypes out there,
0: and everybody's at PDC anyway.
1: Uh, actually. Uh, the, everybody that's a PDC is basically on the crew that did not do the previous trade shows for whatever reason. November is like the trade show month. We had uh, TechEd Berlin, we had Dev Connections Las Vegas, and now we've got PDC, and those are all back to back to back. <laughs> so last week, uh, those of us that are PDC this week were the only crew at at, at uh, Redmond working on on uh, ASP.net, and this week we're here, and whoever's coming back from those those shows is uh, uh, covering the shop uh, while <laughs> we're gone. So. Uh, and then Thanksgiving the week after. So it's like mm-hmm. uh, crazy. Yeah. So,
0: Well, thanks a lot for, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Now, I got to say some of this stuff I'm really excited about. The sprite support. I mean, I I'd never even thought about something like that. And that, to me, sounds like something that would be very cool. I love the whole idea of the active record and the code first and, and everything like that. and So I'm excited to see these advancements come. I hope everything that he talks about does end up making it to uh, to the light of day. To you, I want to say thanks again for checking out uh, the show. Please do remember there's a lot more interviews coming up that uh, we did on the, the floor of PDC. And so this is Craig Shoemaker. Until next time, I'll talk to you soon.
1: Pixel 8 Radio, on
0: the web at getpixelated.com. That's getpixel, the number 8, ed.com. All rights reserved. Copyright 2009. Infragistics. On the web at infragistics.com.